You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here this morning. Would you please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. If you don't have a Bible, there will be one in a basket in the row in front of you. Please take that, use it, and it can become yours if you don't have a Bible and you need one. We would love for you to have that and for you to be able to look at the Word of God yourself. Now, I think about a day like this and every Sunday and what a privilege it is for us to to look at the Word of God together and to really be here for just an hour and a half every week together, right? Think about this. We have one and a half hours every week to be together in this setting, to hear the word, to understand the word, to apply the word, and then to leave and obey the word. And you think about all of the hours in your week, all of the hours that you are hearing from different sources, whether it be Netflix or, or, or social media, or your friends, or whoever it may be, think about the proportion that, that needs to take place in order to counteract the proportion of, of Bible teaching that needs to take place in order for you, or understanding or reading, in order for you to understand the truth in light of everything else that you're hearing. So you got one hour, we got about 30 minutes we're going to sing, sing on a Sunday and about, and about one hour that we're just going to talk through the next passage in the book of Luke. One hour out of your entire week together to hear the word of God so that you can understand the word of God and apply the, the word of God. If you don't commit to that, even right now, understand the seriousness of what we're doing, you will never grow as a Christian, ever. You will stay the same until the day that you die. If that's what you want, then that's okay. Then, then sit and, and you know, zone in and out or don't come or be inconsistent, etc. My call to you is to understand the need for the Word of God. And listen, beyond that, th- that you need to be studying the Word of God in your own time. Because because if if this is the only Bible intake throughout your week, two things will happen. When you come and hear it, it's going to taste bad. It's going to be like a baby eating solid foods for like the first time. You're like, oh, that's just gross. Right? Because you're eating sweets all week long or because you're used to milk, which goes down easy. Or formula. Right? Or secondly, 
Your stomach will be so small because you're not used to eating solid food that about 20 minutes into this thing, you'll be like, okay, I'm full. I can't take anymore. Right? And so let me encourage you. You have to be in the word of God and you have to be hearing the word of God. You have to be reading the word of God. You have to know the word of God. Here's how the word of God works. You know, the Bible says that the issue with the world, the issue that we have before we come to know Christ, it uses a litany of different descriptions, metaphors. We're darkened in our understanding, um, alienated from the life of God because of the sin that's within us. We're ignorant is really a summation of everything. We have maybe a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, no knowledge of the truth. So the Bible provides us information, instruction, truth, right? The Bible, uh, Paul talks about what is the spiritual warfare. He says, Paul says there's a spiritual war going on and, uh, and it's not against flesh and blood. He says it, it, there's these, these tombs, these strongholds, these fortresses, right? And then in the next verse, he describes what those fortresses are. Listen, he describes what those fortresses are. They're ideas. We wrestle against these fortresses in the, in the, in the heavenly realms. Those fortresses are ideas. We wrestle against thoughts, right? That's the, the battles for your mind, for truth. You're getting truth somewhere about who God is, about who you are, about who Christ is, about what eternity is. And the, that's the battle. Satan wants to keep you ignorant to the truth, right? So then he says, we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, that's how. So what the progression is now when we look at the word is you're going to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's information, right? Then it's going to move to your convictions. So you start to say, wow, this, this should shape the way I think about everything. And I, I'm beginning to believe this. And then it moves to your affections. You begin to love this truth, want to follow this truth. So that's how the Bible works. It's knowledge. It's information. It's the, 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 you come to a knowledge of the truth, which moves to your belief, which are your convictions, and then moves to your affections. That's the highest order. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? We need the word of God. This is not um, something right now that we're doing that is just uh, a, a tradition, an event that we're going to put on each week. This is, this is the very life. This is the very instruction, the very commands of God in this book, right? So I want to just prime you for what we're doing today. I want to prime you. You, you got it. This has got to be, you got to have more Bible intake than you have intake of anything else. In the, or else your, your understanding of truth and who God is and what it means to be a Christian will be distorted by everything else you're hearing. Right? You got to hear it directly from the source. So the Bible says every word is God breathed. That's why we take every word so seriously. Okay? So before we read, before we explain, before we apply, as we make our way, listen, verse by verse through the book of Luke, before we, as the Bible says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with the text, okay? In Luke, let's just for the last time recite this month's memory verse. We've been memorizing a verse every month as a church. That's only how many? 12 a year. You say, well, that's not true because we got like three every time, right? You're right, okay? But uh, I'm going to slip that in. as I call it the memory verse, and then we'll put like three in there. But listen, that's not too much for you to memorize in a year, Okay, you can do far more than that. Just trying to get Bible in your memory so you can 
Know what you're saying when you talk about it and reflect back on it when, when you need to, right? My wife and I, our first year of marriage, we memorized the whole book of 2 Timothy. Just the first year of marriage. We just added a little bit each time, a little bit each time, a little bit each time. You can memorize large passages of scripture just trying to get you started, right? So we've been memorizing one verse per month. This is the last passage. Uh, this is the last uh, time we'll be memorizing this particular passage. Let's just recite it out loud, then we'll move into the book of Luke, okay? Here we go. Matthew 22. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, well, I encourage you to go back and listen to this sermon, the sermons over the past few weeks as we've discussed, explained, applied this particular passage. Um, and uh, let us now move into the text that the Lord has given us for today in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. It's going to take us about four weeks or so to get through these verses, okay? So this is the first, we're going to talk about uh, the first part of it today, a little bit of an overview. I'll explain that to you in a minute, but let's read them. This is where all of our content is coming from. It's a launching pad for other information. As you'll see in a second, we're going to launch into other places, but this is it. This is the content. It's not deriving here in, in me, the preacher, it's deriving in the text. So let's start. Ready? Verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to, to build a tower, to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has 
cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. This is where we find ourselves as we make our way just verse by verse through the book of Luke. These are Jesus' words. And what we are seeing here is Jesus is making clear the requirements for true discipleship. That's what's happening here. Jesus is making clear the requirements for true discipleship. This is the tone that comes out. This is the tone of today. This is the content that comes out. This is the message of today. Jesus is making clear what it will take to truly be his disciple. That's the meaning of the passage by what it says. Jesus is making clear what is required for true salvation. That's the issue here. True salvation. If you're going to say that you know him or if you're going to say that you're following him, here are the marks of a true Christian. And if it doesn't look like what he says, you've made it up in your own mind. You've got some version of Jesus that isn't biblical. And this is the message, the content, and the tone that Jesus has here. Disciple here is synonymous with salvation. Disciple is the synonymous with salvation. Disciple in the context of the scripture means learner, follower, student. But Jesus has clarified over the course of his ministry what it means to be his disciple. And that is synonymous with salvation. So that's what's happening here. That's the particular doctrine that's being made known here. Now there's more here. The reason why Jesus is making this requirement clear, these requirements clear, this is step two, is so that you would count the cost before following him. Or count the cost of following him. Wherever you are currently. So you got the requirements. Secondly, for the purpose that you would count the cost and know the cost up front. Thirdly, 
Third step, third idea, lest you turn back somewhere down the road, which is so common. It's almost the entire theme of the Gospels. False discipleship. I want to show you this progression briefly in the text. Today is going to serve as an overview. I'm going to introduce this section. It's going to take us about four weeks because I think it, it needs to bear a lot of weight in our lives and in our culture and in America. I'm going to give you kind of a biblical theology that launches from here. And then we're going to just look at one verse today in verse 25. So we're going to look at this. I'm going to show you the progression of this text. How I just said what I said is the progression of this text. Where'd you get that, Sam? I'll show you. We're going to launch out. See a little bit of a biblical theology. This theme throughout Jesus's ministry. Then we're going to look at verse one verse 25 as an introduction to this. And its application And then next week, we'll move on. So look at the text with me right now. Just look at it, okay? Verse 25, okay? Now great crowds, just look at it, accompanied him and turned to him. He turned and said to them, okay? Jesus has the crowds. He's making clear the requirements, Here's the requirements. Verse 25, anyone comes to me, doesn't hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. Second time he mentions the requirements. Verse 27, who does not hear his own, or bear his own cross. Stand on the truth. Stand on the truth. Hold to the truth all the way to the death. Verse 33 is in this second step. Therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has, the literal translation, anyone who is not willing to give up all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. And the third step, so that down the road you wouldn't turn back, right? Okay, there's a building, a tower, there's a war, and there's salt that loses its saltiness. So here's the idea. Here's what's required. Here's the reason why I'm telling you so that you account the cost or else you might be like one who builds a tower halfway through. You're not building anymore. War, you can't fight it. Salt, you lost your saltiness somewhere down the road and then you're good for nothing, right? I mean, the progression is clear and and look at the text. It's identified by a few things, but I want to really point out the beginning of verse 28, which is the word for. Here's the purpose, okay? The crowds are coming. He tells them the requirements, the cross, giving up your family, giving up your possessions. Verse 28, that's step one. Here's the requirements. Verse 28, here's step two. For... Here's the reason why I'm telling you this. That will be step two. So next week, we'll talk about the cost. Then the following week, the third week, we'll talk about 
the reason why he's telling us this? For if you build a tower, you don't know the cost, you're going to get halfway through building the tower and you're going to give up. You're going to have salt and you're going to lose your saltiness. Right? So here's the requirements. Four, here's the purpose that you would count the cost so that, third step, you don't give up halfway down the road. You've called yourself a disciple for 20 years, 15 years, 10 years, five years, three years, 50, you know, 60 years. And then it all proved to be false. You've turned away somewhere down the road. We've seen so many people come in and out of this church who respond quickly to the message. I want to follow Jesus. Love this place. Love the worship songs, the word. I want to follow him. I'm broken. My life is falling apart. And they look like the seed that's taken root on the surface for the wrong motives, superficial response, although it didn't seem superficial at the time. Grow a little bit, cares of the world, possessions, riches, persecution, choke it out, dies, never bears any fruit. That could be you. That could be you. You got to know what the cost is and decide to follow him based upon the cost, the requirements. So that's the progression of the text. That's why I've entitled this message, Stop and Count the Cost of True Discipleship. Stop for a second. Stop. If you're going with the crowds, you're coming to church, you're accompanying Jesus, stop. Stop for a minute. Know the cost and decide. That's the progression of this. Count the cost before you follow him any further. So let's move into a little bit of the relevance to this. This is an overview. This is a little bit looser than maybe normal in the sense that this, we, I, I believe we need to feel the weight of, of how relevant this is to, to the world we live in, understand the biblical theology, Jesus' ministry, and what he did with this idea, and then we'll move into just the first verse. Listen, the failure to understand, listen now, the failure to understand and count the cost of true discipleship is a literal pandemic in America. In this very town, I'm going to be specific today because I care about your salvation. In this very town, to be more explicit, Covington, Mandeville, the North Shore, it's a pandemic. The failure to understand and count the cost of true discipleship is the true pandemic. That is the true issue. And that's what you should be concerned with. Particularly in this city, 
And in America, everyone, most people desire to claim that they're Christians. Because in America, this is what is acceptable. This is the acceptable state to live in. We live in a place where everyone wants to look, particularly where we live in America, very moral. You want to look moral. That's the goal of our culture. And I tell you this to describe the immense danger that everyone faces. This particular culture that you live in on the North Shore. Popular is moral. Moral is popular. That's the goal, and that's dangerous. Why? Well, for one, it's the same desire that the Pharisees have, which is to look clean on the outside and remain truly uncleansed on the inside. So I'm a Christian, got the cross necklace, I got on my Instagram profile the first thing, follower of Jesus, second things like wife, and then, you know, mother and whatever. That's the popular thing. Why? Because that's what's acceptable. But then it's, there's a failure to actually look at the word and see what Jesus actually requires to be one of his disciples. And this blurries the, the water. Because then everyone thinks that they are one and they never actually see the need to become one. This is dangerous. This is far more dangerous than other places. If I were to think about the hood of Chicago, right? Your goal isn't to look moral. Your goal is to look, I don't know, tough. But here, the goal is to look moral, so Christianity is extremely popular, and the danger is far greater. This is what is acceptable by various friends group, friend groups. This is what is acceptable by various people in the culture. Your family not doing anything wrong, upstanding citizen, put together, moral, uncleansed before God on the inside. And so therefore then, we fail to see what true Christianity costs and requires. And here's one of the reasons. The reason is because we know that if we look deeply at the word and what it requires, it will not serve the ends that we're trying to attain. Because listen now, true Christianity will lead you to a weakness, to poorness, to giving up your life, to not standing in sin, to have to avoid certain people and environments, to not make the goal of your life a popularity contest for the culture on social media. You got to give that up. To be real and not fake, to be honest about your sin, to be unimpressive in the world. To know your Bible, read your Bible, pray, understand your Bible. 
as the goal of your life, to evangelize your neighbor, to be consistent at church, to serve the needs of the body. All of that is unattractive and unpopular and undesired. So you don't really want to become a Christian. You just want to look like or be known as a Christian. You don't really want to follow Jesus. It would require far too much, but you want to be known as that. Or you want to have the benefits, a.k.a. heaven or blessing. And we have to count the cost and look at the true requirements and definition of what it means to be a Christian. This is extremely important. True Christianity will require submission to the church. It will require looking at my sin and and repenting of it. But we are content to look clean on the outside and unclean, remain unclean on the inside. So, as we think about this, we must consider, listen now, consider, consider. Have we counted the cost? Have you counted the cost of true discipleship? Have you counted the cost? Have you looked at what the scripture says about what it truly means to be a Christian? Or are you content to look like one? What happens is, then we, it, it bleeds into the syncretism with the world. You go to church on the, the, you know, the few most popular days of the year. And you go to the one that everybody's going to. You don't want to be not part of the crowd. And you take the picture in front of the church. Make sure to post it. And it's not just that you went. You had the most euphoric experience. You had the greatest experience. And all the while, the motive in the background is still for yourself, for the culture, and for the world, and to look like something that you've not really ever decided to be. And I want to move into the fact that the church perpetuates this, that we will remove all barriers, we will shorten all things, We will be positive. You notice that? Church services. Positive from the beginning to the end. All positive. All great. It's all going to be great. It's not true in the Bible. To keep people coming, all the while never telling them the true cost of what it means to decide to follow Christ. And so you send people straight to hell. Do you know Jesus' first words in the entire New Testament about the church? Do you know then, obviously, if it's his first words in the New Testament, it's the first words about the church in the entire Bible? Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus says, if your brother sins, go and rebuke him. If he doesn't repent, take another, a couple more. If he doesn't repent, tell it you know, to the elders of the church, tell the church. If he doesn't repent, then treat him as a non-believer. 
tell it to the church. First time mentioned. You know what that means? What Jesus values about his church is far different than what we think he values. His first words were not, lower the barriers, do, you know, do a few things, make the message light, tell them later about what the requirements are. Don't you know? Start here. Like, let's just hold a little back. Let's start here. They won't be able to take all of it. Hold back some, start here. Then along the way, show more and more. Never his tactic. Why? Because he doesn't care about the people just coming back. He's making plain the truth so that people hear the truth, decide on the truth, and become true disciples. He wants a pure church. He wants a holy church. That's why his first words are Matthew 18. You know, that's, that's how the church functions. Listen, there's Ephesians 4, there's pastors, there's apostles, teachers for the church who equip the church with the word of God, right? And then the people are equipped to minister to each other. And as they minister each other to each other, the body's built up. Part of that ministering to each other, you should, be, you should be confronting each other, church, members of this church, confronting each other about each other's sins. That's the one another that we don't like. We like love one another, right? You have permission, biblical permission. Do that. And most of the time, you'll probably win your brother the first time you mention their sin. Right? That's what you do. And how you do that, that builds its, its church up in love. God wants to protect this church. Each local assembly is a, is a protectant for the, as they add up, for the bigger church, the, the invisible church. So this is the call. The call is pure religion. The call is true discipleship. The call is, is unhindered faith. The call is following him and knowing the full truth, the whole truth, the entire counsel of God. And we have totally messed this up. It doesn't make any sense to withhold the truth if you want somebody to come under the truth. <laughs> like, I don't make any sense. It's counterintuitive, counterintuitive. I'm going to withhold the thing that I want you to fully give your life to. And you never really get to the truth anyway. You say, I'll tell them more later. I'll open it up more and more not to scare them away. No, you won't. You're doing that because you're afraid and you'll stay afraid. This is the tone. This is the method of Jesus's ministry. And this is the issue. And this method, uh, this idea of true discipleship is very very confining to those who don't want to follow Christ. You know, the demons, you say, well, I bet they now wish that they were in heaven. No, they don't. Heaven is confining to the demons. The church operating in the right way actually would have someone who's not part of the church and God's not working in their life come in and say, I don't want to be part of this. But if the truth is presented and God is working in the heart to bring about salvation, then this is the most amazing truth in the entire world. This is Jesus' approach to ministry. 
Let's show some examples and then move into the text. Matthew chapter 10. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Everything was so convoluted. The Pharisees thought they were right before God because of the law. The Jews thought that they were right because they were descendants of Abraham. The Gentiles thought they were out just because of their, their heritage. Everything was so convoluted as to who was truly right before God. Jesus came to bring division, to make clear the categories, right? To force a decision, Right? Whoever does not take up his cross, follow me, is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. His invitation, this is his invitation. Yes, his burden is easy. His burden is light. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's got grace upon grace. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Right? He was saved by grace through faith. He loves us when we come to him. But the pathway to that is to give up your life. That's the way you get that saving grace. You give up your life because you believe in Christ. Some people say, why does repentance and faith connect us to the blood of, to the work of Christ? How does that work? Well, it's very logical. I mean, think about it. If you believe your sin is sin, what God has called it, and you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sin, then you will naturally turn away from your sin and trust in Christ who died for your sin. It's an exercise of true belief in what Christ has done, and, and that's what he's calling people to. His invitation is to repent and believe. And with that, you get joy forevermore. It's proof that you've believed. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. A man finds it, covers it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. That's what it looks like to follow Christ. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who finding one of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. It might result in hatred by the world. This is the call to true discipleship. It might result in hatred by the world. John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Are you willing to not be part of the world? For the world to hate you. This is what might happen with mother, father, brother, sister, etc. This is why your commitment to Christ will result in maybe what looks like hate to the rest of your family because you know he's true and you're deciding to follow him. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they are also gonna persecute you. You know what that persecution normally looks like here? Not like I'm gonna kill you, but probably speak ill of you. Tell lies about you. Right? Uh, tell, tell people your intentions are different than they really are. And we cannot stand the thought of that happening to us. But true disciples of Christ say, I'm going to endure that because Christ is true. You've got to be willing to be hated by the world. He says to those who aren't willing to make such commitment, 
that there will be a perishing. There will be a, a, an eternity apart from God in the place the Bible calls hell. He does, Jesus, this is a biblical theology of how Jesus promotes these invitations. There, he, do, he doesn't uh, make it unclear what the punishment will be if you don't meet his requirements. So Luke 13, 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house is risen, shut the door, begin to stand outside. You say, Lord, open to us. He says, I'm not, I don't know where you came from. Then you're going to begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. What are you talking about, Jesus? You knew us. We knew you. You taught in our streets. He's going to say, depart from me, all you workers of evil. And here's his words. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the, this is the truth. Just, you got, I want you to know it. So you just make a decision. You know, Jesus taught, taught far more about hell than he did about heaven. And in his description of hell, it was never, um, it was, it never uh, was, was dumbed down so that he would lessen the sting of the blow. Christ's call is sobering when you look at it. Luke, Luke 9 Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, follow me. If you're ashamed of me, my words, a little bit down, 26, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you. John chapter 6, there was a large crowd following him. Jesus turned around and said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. And this is the result. John 6, 60, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen John 6, 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus made clear the expectations up front so that people would know the cost and they would decide to truly follow him or, or not. Remember the parable of the soils, Luke 8? See, it is the word of God, the ones along the path. Devil comes, takes it away, they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. These have no root. They believe for a while, time of testing, they fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Fruit does not mature. So this is Jesus laying out the requirements, the call, so that people wouldn't turn back later on. The teaching, listen, of this world, by and large, is is damning people to an eternity apart from God because they don't know the, the expectations. Jesus said this of the, of the Pharisees, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land and make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Meaning you tell him what it means to be a, a follower and then you tell him a lie and he believes that lie and goes on following a lie. Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those by, who enter by it are what? Many. Many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are what? <clears throat> and yet many think they're saved. Matthew 7 says this, every tree, healthy tree bears good fruit. Disease tree bears bad fruit. Healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor disease tree bear good fruit, right? We'll recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. 
John 8, Jesus makes clear the expectations. He says to the Jews, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. John 15, 8, Jesus says, by this, the father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so what? Prove to be my disciples. This is the cost. This is Jesus's approach. These are the requirements so that you would count the cost so that you wouldn't be uninformed. And then when the cost comes upon you, you would turn back from following Jesus. In another country, you don't become a Christian unless you truly desire to be one. Because it's gonna cost you your life, your family. And that's why I say here is the most dangerous place to be. Because it's popular to be one. But to look clean, to not to become clean. Therefore, no reason to ever make a further decision and you remain uninformed about what it actually means to be a true disciple. I pray that you would be counting the cost. Let's move into our text, the last 15 minutes. Take four weeks, about four weeks, including this week, to cover this. Verses 25 through 35. Today, we're only gonna cover verse 25. Today, I told you I wanna do an overview of this and us to feel the weight of it. So we looked at the progression of the whole text we looked at how this briefly is the pattern of Jesus' ministry. We're going to look at this one verse that introduces the whole thing. And then next week, we'll move on to the cost. Then we'll move on to why we need to count the cost. And, um, and perhaps do a little bit more digging. You say, I didn't even know you could preach a whole sermon on this verse. Amen. Verse 25. And uh, I say, yes, you can. <laughs> so, verse 25 is a preview to this, an intro to this. What are Jesus' expectations? What is his approach to ministry? What does he care about? What is he doing here? We saw that the cost of counting the cost of discipleship is the point of the section. I showed that to you with the progression. It just arises out of there. If you're going to work through this text, what comes to the surface is the meaning, the proposition that I gave you in the beginning. That's just what's there. So now we're going to take that whole thing and we're going to kind of slice it up into aspects of that. This is why we take verse 25. Within verse 25, I'm going to divide it up into two headings, and here are the headings, and we'll take one at a time to make them clear. The first, the accompaniment of the crowd, and second, the intentionality of Jesus. And this will set us up to dive in further next week. The accompaniment of the crowd, and then secondly, the intentionality of Jesus. Maybe next week we'll say then the cost of discipleship. Accompaniment of the crowd, the intentionality of Jesus, then move on to the cost of discipleship. Maybe then the risk of turning back. All right, those will be our points for the next few weeks. Number one, the accompaniment of the crowd. Verse 25 
Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them. That's our verse. Now you gotta remember that we're just coming out of a place where the Pharisees were indicted by Jesus for the sin that was keeping them from salvation. Hypocrisy, lack of humility, undervaluing heavenly reward, heedless unbelief. We looked at those for the past week. The last, the past few weeks, the last one dealt with priorities. They said they were waiting for the Messiah. These Jews who said they were waiting for him, the Pharisees who said they were waiting for him, the Messiah is now here. He's inviting them to the great banquet of salvation. And their response is, I got a field I got to go see. I got a, a yoke of oxen I got to go take, you know, take a look at. And I got a wife I got to tend to. And therefore, please count me out. The priorities of this world preventing the Pharisees from coming to salvation. And we see the grafting in of the Gentiles, etc. But we see this, these priorities that are preventing salvation. And we see um, Luke's placement then here for this next section is incredibly intentional. He keeps with the theme as to show what it will take to truly be his disciple. And that is, Jesus must become your ultimate priority. So if you were to become his disciple. So the text makes really a lot of sense in the logical flow of Luke. This refusal to follow Christ because of worldly priorities. And then we see Christ make clear, if anyone is unwilling to give up those priorities, he can't be my disciple. Right? Very clear in the logical flow of this. So verse 25, we read, now great crowds accompanied him. In the NASB, it says that large crowds were going along with him. So Jesus is walking on his journey towards Jerusalem. And the main things that we see on this journey, he's only a couple of months away from the cross. The two main aspects of his journey to Jerusalem, training the disciples indicting the Pharisees, which will lead to his death, right? So he's walking on his journey and there are large crowds, great crowds. He's just, you know, we see him leaving the Pharisee's house here. This isn't probably um, sequential in regards to timeline. Luke places it here in terms of theme. But he's outside of the Pharisee's house, Pharisee's house and he's got great crowds, large amount of people accompanying him. And you know, you wonder, what did Jesus value? What was the nature of his ministry? Did he rejoice at great crowds at all? What was his value system? Did he measure his success on numbers or crowds? Did he care? How does he respond to the crowds? With what tone? What does he really care about? What is he in it for? Did he refrain from challenging them from too much up front with the whole truth so that they would continue to come along with him and accompany him? Well, we can see clearly here how Jesus thought about the crowds. Think about this. The crowds are with him. 
They're coming along. They're, they're accompanying him. There's large crowds. And Jesus, we can see his value system, how he thought the crowds should be addressed, people accompanying him, people going along with him. And I think in America, we would say, Jesus, that's a win. That's a win. You got them coming along. They're going to keep hearing. And they'll eventually come along, but at least they're coming back. Wow, it's growing. They might not all be disciples, but that's not a church. A church is made up of believers. You try to lead a church as a church leader when you got some sheep, some goats that are not following the same rules in the book, right? It's impossible. He's keeping the, a church is the saints, those who have been saved, right? It's what he's interested in, but most of the time I think in America, we would say this, we're, you're, this is a win, they're coming back, right? At least they're going along with you. Might even be content not to challenge these people any further or call them to holiness or question their salvation. Let's see how Jesus treats the situation. Number two, the intentionality of Jesus. You wanna know how Jesus approaches the crowds? On his own initiative, he turns and says what is required for true discipleship so that they wouldn't keep coming along, keep accompanying him, keep following along, and then turn back later and think they were true disciples the whole time. That's his approach to ministry. I would say, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing here? You're gonna ruin this whole thing, right? Like, you don't have to say that. Shh, just keep quiet. What are you doing here? You, like, you don't even, just keep walking. You don't even have to turn ever and say to the crowds anything. And they'll just keep coming. Why would you do that? Why would you stop and tell them to count the cost and make it hard on them and let them know these requirements? And the requirements sure aren't easy. Hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister. <laughs> Take up your cross designed for thieves to be killed on. Give up all your possessions. So you got this large crowd and you stop them in their tracks and you turn and you tell them this is what's required. Why do you keep pushing so much? Just lay off for just a little bit. Give them a breath of fresh air. Let them have a break. Let them figure it out along the way. Let them hold on to their sin and their idols just a little bit longer. Don't tell them the truth. Just say it's all going to be okay. And instead, on his own initiative, turns to the people because he cares about them knowing the requirements, counting the cost, becoming his true disciples. He'll change the world with a few who are committed that way. The rest of them, they should stop accompanying him. He turns to the whole crowd. You know this is what it's going to take. And if you're not willing to do that, you can't be my disciple. Basically, stop accompanying me. 
if you're not gonna decide this way. Because you leave yourself in a dangerous place where you never have to truly make a decision. Then at least you know your decision. I'd rather people come in here and know the truth and that they're rejecting it than for them to not hear the full truth and never know they have to actually make a decision. So the truth is, if you're not willing to count these costs, just graciously find the off-ramp to this path that you're following of accompanying Jesus and get off the path. Get off the path. Or hear his call to true discipleship and follow him. And that includes finding out what he says about following him. If you're not willing to do that, then it's the same as the first decision. Jesus says, the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. This is, I mean, you got Jesus responding to a crowd like this. I mean, it just, you know, he's gonna have some people who are upset and offended, but why? Ephesians 4, Paul says, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the what? Ignorance, they don't know the truth, the sin that's in them. You gotta know the truth. And God's gotta be working in the heart. You know, I'm not, you know, here in what we do, you're, you, me, not in charge of the response, just in charge of the clarity and the accuracy of the message, right? You guys have heard that and know that before here. God's got to do the work. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, and what? Yeah, God gives the growth. So, you know, here's the message, here's the truth, and you got to decide what to do, but you, if you're darkening your understanding, then the best thing you can do is to know the truth. So this is, this is what Jesus is making clear, and this is the weight of this whole thing. Crowds following him. Jesus stops them. Jesus is intentional. Jesus says, here's what it's going to cost. Then he tells them the cost. Family, relationships, death to self, standing on the truth, possessions, for the purpose of, step three, that you would know the cost so that you would count the cost lest you are one who builds a tower, stops, goes to war, can't fight it, salty, loses your saltiness, losing your saltiness. He initiates, he doesn't have to, he calls people to true discipleship. I was talking to Pastor Chad this past week and after reading this, I said, at least we're not out of touch with the biblical reality. Like Jesus is always pressing in. He's unrelenting. He's always wanting true discipleship He's not wanting superficial commitment. He's wanting truly saved people. Always pressing in. And Pastor Chad said, yeah, it's probably not going to serve us too well in the world. So, you know, when, when Jesus says, we're almost done here, just a minute. When Jesus said to Peter, after, after John 6, that whole thing, crowds following him, eat my flesh, drink my blood, 
This is a hard saying, who can follow it? Many people turned away. He looks at Peter and he says, hey, Peter, you wanna go away as well? Based on the truth? And here's the mark of a true believer when they hear this cost. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. When you hear the cost, the one who truly is deciding to follow Jesus says, what else am I gonna do? Of course I'm gonna pay the cost. So what's the application as we turn away? I think it's in two categories. The first is this. Ask yourself, are you accompanying Jesus? Are you go, just going along with him? And Jesus' words to you are, here's the marks of true discipleship. In my word, know the truth of what it looks like to truly come to know me and truly follow me, know the requirements, know the cost. And essentially, stop coming along with me if that's not gonna be your decision. Doesn't make any sense. And why wouldn't you want to stop following him if that's your decision? I just encourage you the same thing. Just stop. Stop coming here. Stop, stop trying to just accompany him and be part of the crowd. Just stop. If that's your decision when you hear this cost from him, it's not doing you any good. Make your decision, and that's the decision that you'll have. The second encouragement to you is if you're on mission making disciples for Christ, if you truly have counted the cost, you're not perfect. But you say, Jesus, I know the cost and I'm coming after you because you got the words of eternal life. Look at Peter. He said that and then what happens? He denies Christ three times, repents. Right? Pastor John MacArthur says it's direction, not perfection. But don't use that as an excuse. It's a fine line there. But if you've made the, the decision to count the cost and follow Christ in your evangelism, which you should be doing, you know, ask the question, when's the last time I shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time I made a disciple? When's the last time I shared my faith? Honestly, that's obedience. That's not an option or for people that are gifted at it. That's another mark of a true Christian. When you do that, here's your method. Tell the truth. Don't hold any back. Tell the truth. Don't say, I'll tell them later, which is really an excuse because you're afraid of what they'll think if you tell them the truth. Don't do that. That's not Jesus' method. Tell them the truth that can save them so that they know the decision they're making. So that's the call. Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask you to please Use your word, please use your word to make true disciples, 
true disciples who genuinely agree with you about their sin, who know, who know what you've done for them on the cross, and who truly repent of living for themselves and trust in you for salvation because you're the Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would understand this cost. And I pray for our, our culture, our country, that those who call themselves Christians would look at the true nature of biblical Christianity and what it means to truly be saved. I pray, Lord, for all of us who, are, who have decided to count the cost and follow you. I pray, Lord, that we would go around telling people the truth so that they may really be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.